Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Jake, I think our time management here is reminiscent of maybe how the Colts played the fourth quarter. Last night, told Joe Wright 7.30, here we are at 7.40, and we're finally getting to him. Well, the difference being between us and the Colts is that we started this show this morning a little slow, right? A little groggy, a little slow. Hey, the Colts started well last time. We are on our way to a strong finish, uh, opposite for the Colts. Started out pretty strong. By the end, complete suck fest, right? Touche. Touche, okay. I can get behind that. Joe Wright is with us here on this Monday morning. Joe, apologies. On a little bit of a delayed start with you. Fellas, all good. Believe me, uh, I know we've all lived that Sunday night football world at different levels. I was just thinking, you know, driving in this morning, you know, man, you get home from those games at like four in the morning and sometimes still hard to unwind and get to bed at five or six. And then especially after a loss like that, it's just a, a tough spot to be in. But I agree, you know, Jake, with what you shared. I mean, the Colts started well. I mean, that touchdown drive they had there in the third quarter, I thought, you could say might have been their best drive of the season. You get Dallas, you get them in a third and 10 situation, you know, after the pick and Isaiah Rogers. I know we'll get into that, but which was a game-changing play call. But still you had them in third and 10, CeeDee Lamb underneath. You make the tackle, they're kicking a field goal. They're up five in the fourth quarter. You're getting the ball back with a lot of momentum. But we don't tackle C.D. Lamb, and, and boy, he had an impressive game. For having less than 100 total yards, I thought he clearly impacted the game in a huge way. And then – we have the fumble with Mo Alley, and I mean, to say the wheels came off in the fourth quarter would be an understatement. Joe, I'm going to put this in a really weird terms here, but uh, earlier this year, Kevin and I, you know, I'm a Clemson fan. He's a Notre Dame fan. Those two were getting ready to play each other, and I'm like, yeah, I just had this weird feeling about it. And in the very outset of that game, Notre Dame got a blocked punt touchdown and I turned around to the person I was watching with and said, this has all the makings of one of those games where, like, the roof just caves in and there's nothing you can do. Like, nothing goes your way. Do you believe in that? As a guy who has played in the trenches of the NFL, are there games where all of a sudden, once one or two bounces go against you, where just seemingly all of the energy is sucked out of a team and there's really nothing you can do about it? Or is that lame 50-year-old gray-haired on the couch guy speak? I think there's some truth to that. And clearly, football is a momentum sport. Football is a momentum sport unlike any other sport because of just the value of the football and turnovers. You know, basketball is a game of runs. Somebody goes on an 8-0 run, you go on a 10-2 run. That just kind of bounces back and forth. But football is different. And I think the Colts are a team with not a lot of margin for error. And so when things start to go wrong like they did in the fourth quarter, they just piled up in a big way. And you know what I really felt watching that game in the fourth quarter with the defense? I mean, our defense has played really well, you know, pretty much all year. And I think there's a lot of games that the defense played winning football, i.e. they played well enough to win and, and kind of pulled their share. But I feel like, you know, the offense has continued to turn the ball over. We're now minus 14. So turnover differential in the season. The Colts and the Saints are minus 14. The next worst team, so to speak, is minus seven, which shows you kind of how bad of a spot we're in as a team. And I feel like in the fourth quarter, the defense was just, you know, I don't want to say it was consciously, but maybe subconsciously, like, man, the offense just keeps kind of screwing us and put us in these bad spots. And I felt like that really unraveled there quickly. But you looked at the score, 54 to 19. I mean, we won time of possession. We weren't that far off in all these stat categories, but five turnovers to one. and Partially because Dallas – Partially because Dallas would score with C.D. Lamb every 18 seconds, right? Yeah, well, and it, it just, again, even right before the half. I mean, it's 14 to 13. You have the ball. I'm thinking worst case. I thought that was a brutal brutal end of the half. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're down by one, and we're getting the ball back. Man, we're in a great spot. And then the tip, the interception, the touchdown, it's 21 to 13. And I'm like, all right, here it goes. But then we rallied in the second half. I mean, we go, we have that bad penalty. And I'm like, oh, here we go again. We're starting on our own nine, but we punt it. They got first and 10 on the 50. We hold them. The defense holds them. We get the ball back on that drive. It just was – it was a game that I really thought we were game for, and I feel like the Colts played that way through the first three quarters. They were primed for an upset. They came out. They were fired up. But, again, 
that's the difference with this Colts team. When one thing goes bad, when the momentum starts to shift, it really got bad in a hurry. And obviously it's just, you know, super disappointing on a lot of levels to have a fourth quarter like that and to put that on film and tape, you know, in Sunday night football. Again, the great Joe Wrights is with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. And I would say one of the definite positives of the Jeff Saturday era, if you want to call it that, is the Colts do or have gotten off to good starts under him. And like you said, they did that last night. Third quarter, Joe, 21-19. Isaiah Rogers uh, makes a play on the ball, looks very close to an interception. Um, He was pretty adamant after the game that he did pick that ball off. Jeff Saturday elected not to challenge it late in the third quarter. I had issue with that. Um, I, I felt like at that point of the game, you needed to not only halt a Dallas drive, but potentially create an opportunity for yourself there. Um, and I thought it was worth the risk late third quarter to make that uh, make that challenge. Obviously, what unfolded afterwards speaks for itself. But what do you think of that sequence? Yeah, I can definitely get behind that. Now, watching it on TV in the replays, I thought that it hit the ground. I think that whatever play that was called on the field was going to stand. But to your point, even if you think that and there's a 20% chance or less or 10% less, you know, in my opinion, it's probably worth the risk at that point just because they're driving and you got the chance to get that game-changing play. But, again, there's a lot that goes into that replay in terms of who's watching it, who's making the call. And uh, I see it from the player perspective. We always think we made the play, right? And coaches are like, well, you guys are always going to come over and tell me that this happened. It didn't necessarily do it. But I would agree with you that, you know, had I been Saturday there, I would have thrown the red challenge flag just for the fact that, even if it is a lower percentage chance, just the huge momentum shift of that. Obviously, the next play, Lamb scores the game, and, and that started uh, the train really coming off the tracks. Joe, when this team gets back from their bye week, do you think Matt Ryan should still be the starter? It's a tough one. I know Saturday said that after the game, but you know he also kind of uh, put an asterisk on it. You know, It's five minutes after the game. In my opinion, it'll be interesting to see what happens after the bye week, not just for him, but just for other guys, too, because – you know, there's four weeks left in the season. Do you make changes? What changes do you do? Usually on a bye week, what the players will usually get out of the building, especially this late in the season, and have some good time off. But coaches stay in and they self-scout. So they're watching, really, the whole season. What have we done well? What haven't we done? I think the Colts are in a unique position because I don't know if they're technically mathematically eliminated yet from the playoffs. I know you guys could tell me that better, but you're, you're definitely getting in that range now. And do they start to look at some other guys? Do they play some younger guys? And obviously quarterback, the most position, most important position on the field, do they go back to Sam Ellinger? Nick Foles, I mean, who hasn't got a shot yet. But clearly, you know, Matt Ryan here, you know, just hasn't been what everybody thought it would be when he started and the season did, myself included. It's just been uh, just been disappointing and just feel bad kind of for all parties involved because it just – the story of this season is completely different than – what I would have thought in July. And I know I came on your show and said, Hey, the Colts are going to win the division. This is the year we got the team around them. Matt Ryan's going to stabilize that quarterback position. And obviously it hasn't been that way. And the turnovers is just uh, inexcusable and really unacceptable when you're turning the ball over at that higher rate. My concern, Joe, and I want you to tell me, I want you to talk me off this ledge or you can say, Jake, I can't talk you off that ledge because I agree. Okay. Jake, I don't want you on a ledge in any capacity. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, gosh. Right there. <laughs> Thank I, you, John. I'd be unemployed it. pretty quickly. Um, my concern is this, and that is that you have three people in terms of the pillars. I mean, obviously, Jim Irsay, it all stops there, right? I mean, he is the guy that's going to make final decisions. But Jim Irsay, Chris Ballard, Jeff Saturday. I've mentioned this before. I've said it to Kevin. My concern is that – at no fault of anybody's, you may have three people who have three different visions of what the direction should be from here going forward. If I'm Jeff Saturday, I want to win right now and show that I can coach and that people were wrong. If I'm Jim Irsay, I'm a little bit of both because I want to move forward and, and get a good draft pick, but I also want to prove people that my Jeff Saturday call was the right one. If I'm Chris Ballard, I'm like, you know what? I, we got to move. I got to get a quarterback. I got to get a young quarterback. We need to move up in the draft. I, I just feel like there is no symmetry of vision. Your thoughts? You know, I, I definitely see your point, but I also think, you know, the way Matt Ryan has played and turned the ball over, I mean, does he give you the best chance to win? You know, and that's where I felt the switch to Sam Ellinger early in the season. I'm like, let's change it up. You yeah, know, but Ellinger was over. an inactive yesterday, a healthy scratch, right? 
Right. And so, uh, again, is it does Nick Foles get a shot or is, you know, he just going to kind of continue to be the number two? You know, I think that it'll be interesting to me what they come out of the bye week, because it's one thing if you're playing a game, you're going the next week and the coaches have the game plan. You only get one bye week. And usually teams have not just schematically, but, you know, personnel and the bye week is the time to make changes, especially when your bye week's this late in the season and there's only four games left. And I think that's what will be interesting to see who's starting, who's playing when the Colts take the field uh, next Sunday against Minnesota. But it doesn't get any easier. And so you have them. The Chargers are clearly playing better in the playoff hunt. And uh, the Giants on the road. It's not a uh, it's not an advantageous schedule for the Colts here, the last four coming in. But, you know, as a, as a player and a fan, you, know, you just want to, in my opinion, see the team continue to fight and try to win games. But I, I certainly understand the fans out there and, you know, my friends who are texting me and they want the Colts to lose out, right, to improve your draft position. So that's one that's always tough for me being on that side of player. I mean, I was part of the 2-14 and 14 season, right? So everybody's talking about this is the worst Colts win ever. Hey, I, I was part of that game and started on the field. We lost 62-7 to seven down in New Orleans in 2011 for those Colts fans that remember that game on Sunday Night Football. So, unfortunately, I've lived this at different levels. And, again, it's just a, it's just not a, a, a good spot to be in for anybody involved you know, with this franchise. Gear Moore from Joe tonight, Colts Roundtable Live, Matt Taylor, Rick Venturi, and Joe writes on that right here on these airwaves. Joe, um, in listening to you, whether it be on those Monday night shows or uh, when you've come on with us during the season, you've mentioned some things schematically you'd like to see, like with the run game, change up. When you talk about the offense as a whole and you look at the issues for that unit this season, you know, besides a little bit more variety in the run game, what else do you point to that's put this unit in the basement of the NFL? Well, I think clearly the turnovers. I think our issues with the run game. Um, I think not having a true lead blocking uh, fullback slash tight end like we had with Jack Doyle. I, I think, again, we, we've really underestimated how good and how important he was for this Colts run game. And so some of the stuff we do schematically, if you don't have that type of blocker in there, it really hurts you. And I think the lack of mobility at the quarterback position, clearly in this day's NFL in my opinion, you, you got to have a quarterback that can get out of the pocket, scramble for six or eight yards, pick up a first down, and then probably the lack of the downfield passing game. We did take a couple shots and hit yesterday, but for the most part this season, we haven't really thrown the ball past the sticks or past 10 yards on a normal play. And I think you've seen defenses continue to cram our wide receivers, linebackers play a step or two up, safeties come down closer in the box, the more people in the line of scrimmage, the harder it is to run the ball with Jonathan Taylor. I think really a combination of those four things has hurt us offensively. And in my opinion, you know, clearly offensively has been kind of the anchor so far with this Colts season. I think special teams has done uh, – de- I mean, McLaughlin, you know, he's been a, a bright spot in my opinion, even with all the changes and, you know, Rigoberto getting hurt. You know, Hawk hasn't been great. But I think overall special teams has been a really solid unit. Credit to Bubba Ventrone. Defensively with Gus Bradley – they're eighth in the NFL in third down. They've played well. I think they played a lot of winning football. Offense has definitely been what's hold, held us back, and those would be the four reasons, kind of 30,000-foot view I would point to. Joe, I know you had mentioned that Joe Wrights is our guest. He's on the Payless Lickers Hotline, the former Colt. You know, you were on that team, as you talked about, 62-7 to on prime time. It was a different season, admittedly, because I think you knew going into that that, that – the, the season was kind of a punt, maybe a little bit different than this year because of the expectation coming in. But take me through what Monday feels like after a game like that and what will be for Jeff Saturday the biggest challenge as you now get, you know, obviously you're going into a bye, then you go to Minnesota. But what are the things where the Colts really need to refocus? What's the biggest task at hand? And psychologically speaking, what do you do to get everybody to continue to buy in, or is that a lost cause? I think psychologically, emotionally, you know, mentally, whatever, you got to keep the ship together and you got to get guys to understand that, you know, yeah, we're four, eight, and one. Uh, we just, you know, we're embarrassed in the fourth quarter on national TV. That's a sick feeling. And Monday after loss was just an awful feeling because as a player, you knew that you were going to come in, you were going to meet, it wasn't going to be pretty, then you were going to go watch the film and then agonizingly, painstakingly, you go play-by-play play and you watch every play that I made and didn't do well that contributed to that loss. Uh, that accountability on Mondays, well, I didn't like it, 
uh, I appreciated it because, again, there's no hiding. The eye in the sky doesn't lie. But for me and for Saturday, it's about keeping the guys together and keeping the guys united as a team and saying, let's go out and, you know, let's, let's give it the best shot we got for the last four games and play together, play as a team, and, and try to pick up some wins. Because certainly with only four games left, it's easy as a player for your eyes to start to drift to other things and next season and what's going to happen and thinking about yourself above the team. Now, I think that happens at all levels throughout the NFL because, again, guys are themselves first, and this is a business, and you hear guys say, i got to take care of me. But the best teams I always was on, you had that collegiate atmosphere, if that makes sense. You know, in college, pre-NIL, when I played, nobody got paid. And the wins and losses, I would argue, mattered more because you weren't going to paycheck on Monday after the game, if that makes sense. But I think that collegiate atmosphere where guys are bought in and they're playing for something bigger than themselves, those are the teams that win and go on deep runs and win championships. And so you got to kind of keep that, uh, that spirit, that collegiate attitude in the locker room if you're Saturday to get this team to, you know, win some games here once the bye happens and you got your last four. Joe, we'll end with this. And again, four games to go post-bye. I would argue one of the bigger kind of individual storylines the rest of the year is the continued development of Bernard Ryman. Um, if he can take strides and you look at him and say, all right, there might be something to work with here as a left tackle. That's huge for this franchise moving forward. What have you seen from him now that he's gotten some extended starting action? He struggled, which a lot of left tackles struggle, especially rookie guys. I think he's a guy. I think he can be a pillar for this franchise in terms of a left tackle for the future. I think, one, he has the feet. Two, I think he has the work ethic. And three, I think he has the mental makeup. I've talked to him, met with him. I mean, he's a pretty – uh, regimented guy. He's going to work hard. He's going to do the right thing. He's a guy that I think, like Costanzo, at, at offensive line, we'd say, you can't get tired of doing the same thing over and over. Just doing the same thing 60, 65 times. Don't get tired of doing the right thing. I think the Ryman played better last game, and I think he'll continue to improve. It's all those different nuances. Where to put your hands? When's the ball coming out? Is it a quick throw? What's this defender going to do? How's the defender's feet look? Is he really going to try to pass rush me? Are they going to run some sort of line stunt tackle end game? As he learns all those little nuances, I think he'll continue to grow. But I do think the Colts have found their left tackle of the future. I think Will Fries, too. Will Fries is another guy at right guard. And uh, I think overall he's played pretty well for his second year, but really kind of his first year starting. So those are two younger guys that you hopefully will continue to grow and be pieces of that offensive line moving forward but Kevin I think you bring up a good point four games left in the season mathematically you're all but out of it but do we see some other younger guys play do the Colts want to take a look at some guys and say what's this guy going to be development you know as again you're trying to win these games we're also you know let's be honest you're looking to the future too and trying to figure out you know 2023 who's going to be on this roster moving forward Joe they've got established names and big contracts within it but in your opinion moving forward is there any concern about the interior of the Colts line? I think there's con and there, I think there's concern uh, everywhere, and I think there's definitely concern. I mean, the bottom line is you know the offensive line, highest paid you know league. Obviously, that's been well documented. They, they haven't played well. And again, I will say, and again, I'm going to fight for my position group, so to speak. But in my opinion, those first two sacks weren't on the offensive line. Now there was a miscommunication, but what it looked like to me that it was. Uh, running back issues and not going to the right spot. But they've had those kind of throughout the year. And, again, everybody has struggled. I mentioned, you know, two of the younger guys that have been issues and that right guard, left tackle has been liabilities this season. But, you know, the bottom line is Nelson, Kelly, and Smith haven't played their best either. So it'll be interesting to me for sure, um, like everything, right? This will just be an interesting offseason in a lot of different ways. and um, But that that will unfold and, you know, I guess not going to, speculate too much because there's a lot of a lot of dominoes to fall here uh, as the season progresses and then into the offseason joe if your boys ask to watch the fourth quarter when they wake up just tell them hey dvr just stop working <laughs> yeah we're gonna, we're gonna go ahead and just delete the fourth yeah. quarter after that 13 49 mark up until then it was a good game and a good run uh but again it was just uh the wheels came off and i know everybody in indies probably just got kind of that same disappointing feeling this morning as i do so Again, you can hear him tonight, Colts Roundtable Live. Terrific work, as always. Joe Wrights, thank you, man. All right. Thanks, fellas. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Oh, something I said earlier, but I like three Carson Wentz related messages in the last break asking about kind of Wentz's presence hiding some of the pass protection issues last year. I mean, Wentz certainly kept some plays alive, got out of sacks. I think an issue that the Colts thought they were upgrading and going from Wentz to Ryan is they felt like from an mental processing standpoint, they would have a quarterback that could get them out of some sacks, some pressures, etc. pre-snap. They knew physically they weren't going to have a mobile quarterback, but they thought that Ryan would be able to identify that stuff pre-snap. And Jake, we saw it again last night. The amount of free rushers continues to be an issue. And again, that to me is like Matt Ryan doesn't look old just with his arm. He looks old as a processor, and when you can't throw and your mind isn't as sharp as it needs to be, you're going to be the laughing stock of the NFL, and that's where the Colts are at right now. Think they're the laughing stock of the NFL? They're probably close, right? I mean, 33 nothing in a quarter. I mean, Troy Aikman literally laughed at him last Monday, and Chris Collinsworth did everything but laugh at him last night. 33 to nothing in a quarter. It was actually said multiple times in the fourth quarter you're being publicly embarrassed on national television. 33 nothing oh, in a I quarter. Mean, I, that's not embarrassing. That's You should be proud of that. 33 to nothing? You, hang a banner. We got beat 33 to nothing in a quarter. So the Colts had not allowed that many points in a game all season, <laughs> but they allowed 33 and a quarter. I mean, seriously, like... Can you imagine 132 to nothing in a game? Like why why stop? It's too bad they waited till the fourth to let that happen. They should have just gone with it right from the get go and just let's go. I did like the Ezekiel Elliott touchdown celebration in the kettle, like the little Jack in the Box. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought. Did that you was see the whack a well they did? They showed the. Yeah, that was good. They got fined for that, right? They did, and they gave the money, I believe, to the Salvation Army. Right. right? Uh, I thought that was very well done by the Cowboys. All right, it's time for our fan tweet of the game and. Even though Mark uh, is still traveling back, he was able to fire off. I think he set the tweet with like five minutes to go in the game, Jake. <laughs> there are some great ones here in terms of the- He goes, forget waiting until this goes final. Give us your post-game headlines in five words or less to describe what the hell this is. Uh, Jake, lead us off. What stands out to you? I'm going to go with Scotty, a Colts guy, who says, that was rear air. <laughs> Very solid, right? Oh, my God. Uh, this from Rob Albright. The dam has finally broken. True. My man Ty Garrig, Cowboys clown Colts. How about this from John? I don't know if I can say this out loud. Hooker screws Ryan and Colts. <laughs> can I say solid. that out loud? That is really solid. If the Indy Star did not go with that headline today, they are missing out. That is super solid. How good is that? <laughs> really good. John Hat Tip. Hooker screws Ryan and Colts. Uh, Jason. Noodle arm, butterfingers, turnover. <laughs> I like that. It sounded like going over my grandma's house. <laughs> I see Charlie here has, we'll probably lose by week. <laughs> yeah. Well. That's solid. That's solid. Uh, this from Jules. Never-ending train wreck. Jason, Cowboys beat dead horse. 
that's solid, right? Joshua, think about your family, Ryan. Uh, ben, Dallas just scored again. That probably actually was true while he was writing it, right? This one hurts from what I think is a bot. No credibility with fan base. I mean, Jim Irsay's got to hate seeing that, right? Did you see Jim Irsay last night when he tweeted, like, big game tonight? Did you read the replies But even before oh the game began? No, should I have? Oh, man. Brutal. I mean, just brutal. Trev goes, I just vomited three times. <laughs> it was about 4 o'clock yesterday, and old Max had quite the projectile vomit on his dad. And I'm sitting there. Like, it was one of those, like, immediate shorts and shirt, both to the laundry. And I'm thinking to myself, was this Max telling me what I was about to watch in the fourth quarter in about six hours? This from Ryan. Banned from primetime 2023. Seriously. Ryan, bottom quartile of bottom quartile. Hashtag rare air. Again, one spot right now from the bottom quartile. This from Big Og. At least it was Scorigami. <laughs> that is true. That was the first time it was, ever, right? right? Yes, it was a scorigami, which means it was the first time in NFL history that a game ended at 54 to 19. They've had a couple of those this year, right? I think that that might be their second scorigami. Hooker screws Ryan and Colt. <laughs> <laughs> That's really solid. Is that our best one of the year? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That it can't get any better, right? Like literally, we should end this. We should retire the segment. the The cold season and this segment both ended last night, right? It's over. I remember when the Colts drafted Malik Hooker. Um, someone was saying they really hoped that they would draft another guy, maybe named Mike Hooker. So on the back of Malik's jersey, it would say Ma Hooker. <laughs> Okay. Uh, by the way, this is a good one. Matt pulls Avante Davis. That's kind of a deep cut, right? Yeah. Avante Davis, by the way, retired at halftime of the game. That's what that means. I mean, you think there's any ounce of Matt Ryan that sees this? I mean, he has to feel it. And I, and I, I said it earlier, Jake. That Tennessee game in Nashville, when he got benched after that game, but then he also missed a couple of weeks due to practice. Uh, due to a right shoulder sprain, mispractice, I should say. His velocity doesn't even look like where it was early in the year. I think he's hurt. Curtis says this because Mark's tweet is, in five words or less, tell us a headline for the Colts game. Curtis's five words are, I only need one. Pathetic. (laughs) Yeah. But... We should have saved the hooker one for last <laughs> because there's so there's good. No, there's no bouncing back from that. John, right? you deserve a day off for that one. <laughs> Great work. John absolutely wins the internet, right? Ben goes, my only concern with benching Matt Ryan is that if it actually works and we win, change nothing. Stack L's, get draft position. Yeah. I'll continue to say this. You run Matt Ryan out there, that's $17 million that you're risking for 2023. Uh, Derek, Dallas digs Matt Ryan's grave. That's, I mean, that's probably right in terms of his professional career. I, he doesn't play anywhere next year, does he? You wouldn't think, right? Who would be the Vegas odds as the Colts' 2023 starter? Marcus Mariota. How many years did Mariota sign with Atlanta? Oh, that's the guy that I wanted last year. I know. One. He's on a one-year deal? Nick Foles? I'm on board the Foles train all the way. Ah, that's because you're biased. Right, it's, I'm on board all the way with him this season because he's at least going to be fun to watch. It would appear as though there was one guy on the Colts' payroll who wanted Nick Foles, and that guy got fired. So now it's like, well, what do we do with this guy? You know what I mean? Like Nick Foles, Nick Foles literally is to the Colts' roster what Allen was in the hangover. They're all standing around the elevator, and Chris Ballard – who's played by Bradley Cooper's like, who invited this guy? <laughs> Nick Foles is like, you guys ready to let the dogs out? Did not have the Nick Foles Allen hangover analogy <laughs> on my bingo card today. That's what it is, though, right? Literally, it's like, who invited this guy? What, what, what is he doing here? 
Let's go back to the phone lines. Taylor joins us now. Taylor, you uh, you jealous of what Dallas has turned into? Yeah, I think that, you know, Dallas was, was what the Colts thought we were going to be this year. You know, they've got the solid running game, great offensive line. You you had a veteran quarterback coming in, and I, I feel like, you know, if, if nothing else, at least this can show Chris Ballard what a number one, a true number one wide receiver can be. If you Boy, have a CD Lamb. So thanks for taking my call from Virginia, guys. Love it. Thank you, Taylor. Apologies for cutting you off there. Taylor, I, I'm telling you, I think you make a great point because the Cowboys are a team that we haven't talked a lot about. I mean, you haven't heard a lot about, which is weird because it's the Dallas Cowboys, right? But they're good. They're really good. And CeeDee Lamb is smooth. He is, smooth. Man. How many yards after catch for him last night? I mean, well, how many? You notice what was interesting is it was at late third or early fourth, they started incorporating him into the offense without having to go through the air. Yeah, the jet sweep to him a couple times yeah. in a row. Yeah, he is um, He's a pretty special talent. I'll be curious to see the Odell Beckham situation, how that plays out for Dallas. But the, the, their pass rush, though, I mean, it's just – they just – it's in waves. It's in waves. I said it's Jeff Saturday on Friday. You know, there's been some people out there that have referenced this Dallas team and how they close out games similar to the Colts era when Freeney and Mathis would close out games. And Saturday said he would agree with that. But what's different, again, is there's so much depth, so many different guys. Obviously, Micah Parsons is a stud, but... I mean, how many sacks did they have, Orion? Last night was it three or four? Well, and here's the thing: those aren't coverage sacks either. You know what I mean? Oh no! I mean, those are we are hunting. Holy you. cow! Look out! Like, I mean, it's coming like a like. There's nothing you can do about it. There's this just tsunami coming at you. Dak Prescott hit one time last night. Matt Ryan hit seven. Well, as I said, in terms of the turnovers, is it? And, and I can never remember. Are we going with Will Freeze or Will Fries? It's fries, fries right? yep. So do you know what Will Fries? Um, Ashton Doolin and Granson all have in common. Do you know what they all registered last night? They all had a tackle? Correct. They all had a solo tackle. So you have three offensive players who registered on the Colts' defensive box score. That's not a strong sign. The YouTube chat's clamoring for a tankathon, Jake. Oh, I've, I believe I've got the tankathon. Stand by. First um, time the Colts have been in the top ten in a while, right? Yeah. Let me. Uh, let me. Let me go ahead and. Yeah, and the Colts started the day at fourteen. Moved up to nine, can get up to eight in draft order tonight if the Saints win. If you look ahead to next week, Colts are have a bye week, so they can only move further up. I mean, there's a good chance when the Colts get back to play the Vikings, they could be, I don't know, seventh, sixth. Okay, here we go on the. Now, do we have uh, Sam? Probably doesn't have the ESPN draft pick jingle, right? Not not up and ready. I can find it. Uh, no, I'll, I'll just give it to you right here. You ready? Can you imagine if this happens? <laughs> okay. Oh, gosh. I don't like when you laugh like that. <laughs> okay. Has me nervous. You, you got them picking a guard? With the ninth pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the Indianapolis Colts select Tyree Wilson. Defensive end from Texas Tech University. Can you imagine if they take a defensive lineman with the first round? The 37th one they've taken in the <laughs> Ballard era in the first few rounds. And one of them that they took in the second round two years ago didn't have a tackle last night despite three offensive players recording one. So right? where, where are the quarterbacks in that? Uh, this has Bryce Young, number one, to Houston. And this is what we were talking about. The Colts right now, if they were to draft, would be ninth. Bryce Young is slot. I mean, this is obviously a mock draft. Take it for what it's worth. Bryce Young, number one to Houston. C.J. Stroud, number three to Seattle. 
Uh, Will Levis, number four to Detroit. Those are the only quarterbacks going ahead of them. Levis is where? Uh, fourth to Detroit, to the Fighting Motmans. The next quarterback, see, there, there's just a huge drop-off at quarterback. There's not even a quarterback going in the rest of the, in the first round after that. So you got to keep moving up, basically. Because there are some teams in front of Indianapolis drafting that have no interest in taking it. Chicago. Philly, Philly doesn't need a quarterback. Chicago. Now, the problem is I will bet you a, a decent amount that Chicago trades out, right? Because if you're Chicago, you're smart, and yeah, wouldn't you want a trade partner in the AFC though, Jake? I think the Colts would be a trade partner given the ties yeah. to Chicago and, and Philly. Would is Chris Ballard willing to give up some of his coveted draft capital <laughs> to move into the second well, spot? You're going to have to. Or do you give up Jonathan Taylor? You're anything is on the board to find the future. At the most important I mean, at position some sports. point you have to address the quarterback position, period. The other teams in the AFC that are around that, 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 you know, who else in the AFC is desperately looking for a quarterback? Maybe the Raiders. Maybe is New England still in a quarterback business? Well, Houston for sure. Well, but Houston's got the number one. Yeah. I'm talking yeah. about that would have to trade Got it, up. got it, got it, got it. Uh, I mean, Denver probably, right? Pat's already working on talking points for Jim Irsay for his next press conference. He goes, Colts lost by 35. That's still not as bad as Michael Jordan's worst loss. 37 <laughs> points. Do you know how many games Michael Jordan lost? Pat, very good. <laughs> really, really good. Beautiful. I, Joe Wright's joined us earlier. You guys missed that. Check out the, the podcast. It seems like, and Bob Kravitz just wrote this on The Athletic, that the Colts need to make a push for Jim Harbaugh. Um, I'll be curious to see how the Harbaugh one plays out. Um, I'm going to come out with a candidate list. I'll post to 1075thefan.com this week. I was kind of waiting for the bye week to do that. Harbaugh was already a name that I had on there. Um, he certainly would be a much different style than recent Colts coaches. His resume at San Francisco is darn impressive. Curious a couple things. Would he want personnel control? And is this enticing for him? Again, he was deep in talks with Minnesota last year. He's walking into Minnesota with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook and a pretty good defensive line. And, I mean, Kirk Cousins is at least better than, I guess, the situation that the Colts have here. And look what Kevin O'Connell's done walking in there this year. Clearly, they were not that far off. Does the fact that they don't have a QB, but they might find one in the draft, is that like enticing to him? Is it too much uncertainty for him? Because I think Harbaugh realizes, you know, this is the move. Like, when you make one more move for the NFL, this is it. This is your last chance of going back to that level and trying to win that elusive Super Bowl they didn't get with San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, I think... It just comes down to there are pros and cons both ways. Harbaugh's at his alma mater. He has a chance to win a national championship with them. He seemingly has the program where they want to go. But he also is at a place where there is one team per year that you have to beat. And if you don't beat that team within your fan base, everything, you're back on the hot seat all over again. Look at Ryan Day. And and yet, in the NFL, you, you're not out recruiting all the time. You You're not having to you know, reset your roster every four years. The Big Ten's about to be realigned and also is adding USC and adding UCLA and probably eventually adding Oregon and Notre Dame. Do you want to deal with all of that or do you just want to I, – I do think that there is a level of comfort and continuity in the NFL, and I think Jim Mercer is going to pay $10 million a year if he can get it Harbaugh. And to me – and I know – What they would got, that mean for Chris Ballard and or Jeff Saturday? Uh, I think it means that the latter replaces the former. Unless Jim Harbaugh wants total control and autonomy. I, Jim Jim Ursay does seem to be a guy that thinks that a coach and a general manager can coexist even when the rest of the world sees that they're not coexisting. I was going to say, too many cooks in the kitchen there? Uh, that's uh, With Harbaugh on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, that's... 
hard to argue. And does Jeff Saturday want to be a general manager? I think Jeff Saturday would like to be involved in some way. Um, That's a lot different than what he's doing right now. I, I don't know that Chris Ballard is as definitively gone as people assume. No, I I, no, I, I haven't. I haven't said that, no. No, I, I don't mean you. I just mean, I mean, there have been many times where I feel like he, he's, I okay, here's the easier way to say it. And folks, if you disagree with me, let me know. You can text me. Um, I haven't given my number out in a while. 523-9288 is my cell phone number. It's a 317 area code. Uh, 523-9288 is my cell number. If nothing else, just send me a message that you're actually listening to the program, which we appreciate. But um, I I feel like the narrative has changed on Chris Ballard, and I want people to tell me if this is an off – if I am inaccurately portraying the majority of Colts fans. But I feel like the sentiment about Chris Ballard from Colts fans is that they would like to see him do well and at a time felt very confident about his leadership and football acumen. But now the indifference about him has increased and it is a combination 70% because the team looks to be in disarray and 30% because of the way Chris Ballard has handled himself. And therefore people are like, yeah, whatever. I mean, if they, if they keep him great, if they move on from him, I'm not going to cry any tears because he hasn't given me any reason to fall in love with him. Yeah, I think the new boyfriend appeal is kind of worn off. Right. I mean, gotten off to great starts in games, but boy, have they play, have they been thoroughly outplayed? Thirty three to nothing. Games. And even if you take out last night's fourth quarter, think about it: Jake Philly outplayed in the fourth quarter. Pittsburgh outplayed in the fourth quarter. Thirty three to nothing in one quarter of football. And, like, Cooper Rush played the final five minutes. I mean, yeah, Cooper Rush did play. The, the, here's the beauty of this is this is the most beautiful thing ever in terms of symbolic of the Colts season. Down 35 at the end of the game, they took the victory formation to run the clock out. <laughs> Why was Ryan still in the game? <laughs> I mean, he's getting battered and br- like. Just, they took they took the victory. Go out, Chase McLaughlin. That take was the snap the, under center. The only play that wasn't a guaranteed risk of turnover was the victory formation. I right? was so tuned out at that point. Zach Moss ran for nine and seven yards after the two minute warning. By the way, Zach Moss he might get a game ball for that. Matt Ryan kneels. For a two-yard loss to end the game. <laughs> the victory for me. Just go ahead. Throw in the towel. Everybody, actually, last night, Shannon, during the game, goes, why are they all wearing those towels on their hip? And I should have said, so that in the fourth quarter, they can turn around and grab them and wave them. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's not the truth. Just wave the white towel. We're done. We're going to take the victory formation. Time for a morning. You think the first team ever to take the victory formation down 34? Five points. <laughs> a five touchdown victory formation. Run out that clock, baby. Morning check down time. Another symbolic thing last night was after the game when Jim Mercer came out, and typically, usually it's Wish TV 8 that. that spies him and gets comment from him and he gets on his golf cart and yesterday Jim Irsay last night after the game got on his golf cart and rather than making comment the driver of the golf cart uh fired it up and the they drove away but they did so in reverse I thought it was pretty good execution there. it was good execution yeah but it was incredibly symbolic and again that's par for the course with what Jim has done this season uh will not face the music after Losses will happily chat after wins. Uh, I was looking forward to it late last night and thinking, okay, it's going to be like last Monday. Colts lose in the fourth quarter. I'll flip over and watch the Pacers. Last night, get ready to do that. I'm like, oh man, the Pacers are getting worked. Uh, they lose in Portland last night. It is a one and four start to the seven game road trip. And Jake, Rick Carlisle kind of warned us about this, but then you couple that and no Tyrese Halliburton and no. 
TJ McConnell last night. Oh, boy. I don't care the Trailblazers are on a back-to-back. It was Andrew Nemhard or James Johnson bringing up the ball. Yeah, so two left on the road trip, then back here to play Washington, right? For the Blue and yeah, Gold. Warriors tonight, they're favored by nine and a half. Timberwolves on Wednesday. The Pacers now 12 and 11 on the year. Is you know, it, we is haven't a talked- Timberwolf different than a regular wolf? Or is it just a wolf that lives in the timber? Boy, that's... Hate to say it's a decent question, but <laughs> it is, isn't it? Probably the latter. Uh, Jake, did you watch any of the football for the Americans on Saturday morning? We haven't chatted about that yet. Uh, I did. Obviously, the Dutch scoring a goal early, what like thirteenth, sixteenth minute, something like that, got down one nothing. Um, Pulisic had a chance early. Boy, the U.S. kind of closed it there for a split second. Yeah, it was two thought, one. Like yeah, and seventy something. Boom! Right back again. Three one. So that will be in the World Cup now. Uh, you have Netherlands versus Argentina, England versus France. Those are a couple of quarterfinals. Still got Japan, Croatia, Brazil, South Korea, Morocco, Spain, Portugal, Switzerland. Is Senegal still in? Senegal lost, I think, unfortunately, pretty handily. I'm now all in England. on Morocco. Morocco and Spain. I believe that's tomorrow. Now, which one is is Princess Stephanie, Morocco, or Monaco? I think she's Morocco, right? Boy, that's a... I, I can only Google so many things at one time. Well, let me tell you something. In the late 80s, Princess Stephanie. That's tomorrow. I don't know about now, but back in the day, she was the Gabriella Sabatini of princesses. <laughs> Guys my age know what I'm talking about. No one else does. Sam Fritz and I, <laughs> right over our heads. Uh, I just found out the Timberwolf fact. Oh, okay. Uh, Timberwolves are a distinct subspecies of wolf. Heck yeah. That's right. I don't know that I'd ever want to be listed as a subspecies. Like, am I the subspecies of radio hosts? Uh, what quartile would, would that fall in? <laughs> That's in the middle quartile of lower quartiles of radio hosts. Uh, Big Ten basketball play is underway for Indiana. Not a good start. They lose in Piscataway 63-48. Steve Peichel and Rutgers have won six straight over Indiana. Xavier Johnson, 2 of 11, six turnovers. Uh, no Jalen hood Shafino, so that put even more ball-handling duties on Xavier Johnson's plate exposed there. And basically, Jake, they threw a ton of bodies at Trace Jackson Davis. Miller Cop hit open shots, and no one else did. One of 16 from behind the arc as Indiana has their first loss of the season. Yeah, when you – and teams are going to do this. That's the blueprint. Not saying that it's going to be easy for them to do. Indiana's not going to shoot that poorly all the time, although it's going to happen because they don't have – reliable, consistent outside shooters. And Trace Jackson Davis is not going to get shut down that, you know, to that level all the time, although it's going to happen. And when it does, Race Thompson's the other one that's got to do something. Because Race Thompson... Yeah, he really struggled. I, I mean, scoreless. Come on, man. Come on. Uh, did we already mention Purdue? Uh, no, I was going to mention Purdue next. Zach uh, Eady. Purdue, Zach Eady, 33 points, 21 boards. The Boilers 1-0 in the Big Ten, easily winning over Minnesota, who falls to 4-4. Four and four. But Fletcher Lawyer, 20 points, 8 assists, no turnovers for the Fort Wayne product. No Mason Gillis, back injury, sidelined him. So uh, both Purdue and Indiana will play Nebraska coming up this week for their second Big Ten game before Big Ten break the rest of December. Uh, looking back on yesterday, the college football playoff, it was announced it will be number one, Georgia, number four, Ohio State, number two, Michigan, number three, TCU. Jake, your thoughts on that final four? Uh, you know, my only thing is, and there's a bias here probably because I, I'm, I do not at all like Ohio State, although I do think that they are one of the four best teams in the country. I do. So I understand it. The... And I know that it's a moot point because they're going to expand the playoff situation. But if you have a regular season that is such that you win yourself the opportunity to win a conference championship and you are bonused a 13th game, theoretically what happens to you in that 13th game should not penalize you to the point of somebody who did not earn that in their conference and is sitting on the side of the road idle passing you by and that's what happened with USC and I get it I mean USC was beaten pretty handily by Utah but their their star quarterback was hurt early in that game theoretically USC only lost to one team all year granted they lost to him twice 
Um, but I do think that, and I, I get it. I mean, Ohio State is realistically probably one of the four best teams. If Ohio, I, mark my words, I've never been more sure about this than the fact that my name is Jake Query. And yes, the person that just texted me, uh, thank you for listening to the show. It is my cell phone number. I'm telling you right now, if Ohio State and Michigan, as the stars align, if they face each other in the national championship game, if Ohio State's able to get past Georgia, Ohio State will blow Michigan off the field. They'll beat them by minimum 17 points. C.J. Stroud will throw for 450 yards. Ohio State will absolutely blast Michigan, partially because Michigan planted their flag in the middle of the field, and that's it's too soon. It's too soon. And I said at the beginning of the year, no one's going to touch Ohio State and they're going to win the national championship because they have four receivers that are all going to be playing on Sundays someday. And, yes, they got beat by Michigan, but I'm telling you right now, they would have a chance to right that ship and Ohio State would be your national champion. A planting of the flag is going to change a game that was just three scores the other way Yes, last week? Yes, because Ohio State was – they just had like – I mean, I, I really do think, Kevin – Sometimes you just have that, man. You just have days where things don't go your way. And Michigan was dynamic as hell in that game. Don't get me wrong. But Michigan threw everything with the kitchen sink. And Ohio State has too much talent to get beat by 22 again, number one. But number two, you can bet that video of those Michigan players coming out there, I got no problem with it. I loved it personally. But that video of them doing that will be played every single hour of every day if Ohio State gets past Georgia in the weeks or in the week in between the two games. And if they play Michigan in the national title game, mark my words, take the over, take the spread, take Marvin Harrison Jr. to score two touchdowns, take C.J. Stroud in the passing over, Ohio State would absolutely blow Michigan out of the stadium. I feel like you're doubling down on your Ohio State. And then Jim Harbaugh, very shortly thereafter, will be named as the new Colts coach. If that all comes true, at 9.31 and 46 seconds here on Monday, the 5th of December, we will air that forever. <laughs> I believe at the start of the year you told us Ohio State would win every game by 21 points. I did say that, I believe. I did. And if they beat Michigan by 43 in the national championship game, that overcomes the other way. And and I'm still correct. <laughs> Take your calls through at 7239 Kevin and Query here on a definitely not a victory Monday. 